Conservation Conversations with your host, Nikita Goel. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Conservation Conversation. I hope you all had a great week. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, my teacher, Ms. Topping. Hi, everyone. Um, I teach biology and zoology and anatomy, so I'm really excited to be here for the conversation today and learn a little bit more about some animals. So I have a really exciting episode for you today. It's all about manatees. So take some time out of your day to learn and relax. Manatees are amazing and threatened aquatic animals. They have round, barrel-shaped bodies with small heads and, like many other creatures in the ocean, look completely unique. So get comfy and we can start straight away. Before we start talking about this research, I also wanted to mention that there are three different types of species, but I focused on West Indian manatees. There are also two subspecies of the West Indian manatee, the Florida manatee and the Antillean manatee. The two main differences are their size where they, and where they live. Antillean manatees live in the Caribbean and the coast of Central America, while Florida manatees live near, well, you guessed it, Florida. <laughs> but they also migrate to Alabama, Georgia, and South Carolina in the summer. Some can go even as far as Texas or Massachusetts. Antillean manatees are also smaller in size compared to Florida manatees. They usually are just 9 to 10 feet, or 3 meters, and about 1,000 pounds, or 450 kilograms whereas Florida manatees can be bigger and weigh up to 3,000 pounds, or 1,350 kilograms. Manatees live in shallow, slow-moving rivers, freshwater bays, canals, and coastal areas. They're able to easily move between freshwater and saltwater, but they prefer, prefer freshwater. If you've never seen a picture of a manatee, they are often nicknamed sea cows. They are large, gray, strictly aquatic animals with two flippers in the front, with three to four nails on each one. They don't really serve any purpose, though. While they may be huge, they are extremely gentle and slow creatures, similar to pandas or koalas. They mostly eat, rest, or sleep. So a question for you, Miss Topping. What do you think manatees normally eat? Well, I know that they're herbivores, so definitely plant material. Um, probably aquatic plants, since they live in the water. Yeah. <laughs> they also eat one other thing that's not um, only plants oh they wait they're omnivores yeah a li like a bit okay okay occasionally they also eat small fish interesting uh, but they mostly eat seagrass um and other vegetation i didn't know that yeah um so like aquatic plants they normally eat um when they're in captivity a good substitute is usually lettuce and that's what um, they'll eat in captivity so they are mammals so they do need to come to the surface to breathe and they typically do this every three to five minutes but how long do you think they can stay submerged without having to come up for air? Well, they have to sleep. Mm -hmm. um, and I know whales sleep, but they hold their breath for a really long time. Yeah, it's not quite that long. Not as long as a whale. So three hours. Um, they can only stay submerged for about 20 minutes when what? rested. Yeah, when That's they're resting. Yeah, they can only stay for about 20 minutes. Wow. Um, but many times they rest um, like submerged at the bottom or they can do it just below the surface. They can swim for usually up to 20 hours per day in short bursts of energy. And how long or how fast do you think they can usually swim? Just from stories I've heard, I know they're pretty slow. Yeah. Um, so I would imagine only a couple miles per hour. Do you have an estimate? 
Um, like a range? We'll say three again. <laughs> three miles per hour. That's close. They usually swim three to five miles per hour okay. while casually swimming. So manatees do swim really slowly, but do you think they have any like natural predators or how do you think they mostly unfortunately perish? I kind of feel like the biggest threat to their survival are probably humans. I can't think of anything that would maybe be a predator except perhaps an like an alligator, but I don't really know. No, so actually they have no natural predators and they can live for about 60 or more years, so it's a wow. long time. Yeah, they're kind of a weird evolutionary, evolutionary creature because they're like so slow and so big, yeah. but they don't have any natural predators. Um, natural ways manatees die without humans is cold stress, gastrointestinal disease, pneumonia, and other diseases. So it's super important that they have warm water habitats because that's a huge way that um, manatees die. Um, but now most, as you said, most deaths are caused by humans. That's so bad. yeah, even though they can live so long and they have no natural predators, the reproductive rate in manatees is really low because they don't actually become sexually mature until they're about five. So how often do you think um, calves are born? I think a lot of mammals are able to reproduce every year, but since they're not sexually mature until they're five, they might not. So I'll say every other year. Uh, yeah, so uh, pretty pretty close. I mean, usually one calf is born every two to five years, so it's, it's wow. a range. Um, and twins are super rare. So the gestation period um, is about a year, so that's when the babies are like in their mother's stomachs, mm -hmm. um, and mothers nurse their young for about one to two years. So I hope you learned some facts about manatees. They really are such interesting creatures. So before we talk about why they're endangered, I picked out some myths or maybe frequently asked questions, which I'm going to ask Miss Topping, and you guys can also play along as well. So my first question is, which land animals are manatees most closely related to? Well, earlier you said their nickname was the sea cow, so instinct <laughs> is, I want to say cow, um, but I also think they look a lot like hippos, just without legs, kind of, so I will say hippo. That's a good guess. I probably would have also thought that, but actually, um, it's elephants. So elephants and manatees both share the same heart shape, so it's actually rounded at the bottom, whereas most animals have like pointed hearts. Um, so they evolved from the same land animal over 50 million years ago. Um, they also have nails on their flippers, which I mentioned earlier, which don't really have a, a purpose. And that's also another characteristic that they share with elephants. If you can imagine an elephant, they also have like just like kind of toenails, which also don't really serve um, a big purpose. Um, yeah. So this is kind of a fill in the sentence. So fill in the sentence, manatees have the smallest blank of all mammals in relation to body mass. They're very slow, mm -hmm. so maybe they don't have as much cardiovascular activity and they have a small heart. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I can say close, but they actually have the smallest, <laughs> the, the, the smallest thing they have is their brain. Oh. So they're not necessarily like less smart, they just are slower moving and harder to mo motivate. <laughs> um, obviously they're not as smart as like dolphins, but they also can perform um, like many basic tasks. Mm. tasks. Um, they also have smooth brains, which is interesting. Mm, poor things. <laughs> Manatees need to eat a lot of food in one day. Um, how much more than their weight do they have to eat a day? This is kind of hard. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it might sound really big, but I'm going to just say double. That's a lot of vegetation, but double. They actually have to eat uh, more than a tenth of their body weight. So not quite double, but still a lot for how much manatee, like how big they are. 
um, that's quite a lot. So our last kind of question is actually a two truths and a lie. Um, so you just have to tell me what the lie is. So manatees are farsighted. Um, they can barely smell or they can barely taste. Well, I think because they're underwater, I would imagine they probably can't smell very well. So I think that's probably the lie. Actually, the lie is that they can't taste very well. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, there was a lot of things also about how they are deaf. Yeah. Um, they're like farsighted and they can barely smell. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> well, the research is very exciting. I would never leave out the tradition of a story every episode. So we can jump right into the story. This story is called From Mermaids to Manatees, The Myth and Reality Written by Katie Fairclow. I will link it in the, in the description below. In centuries past, the ocean was thought to be full of krakens, sea serpents, and sea monsters. They helped to bring the mysterious ocean into the more familiar realm of the known by introducing human traits and an element of storytelling. One creature that shows up in such stories throughout history is the mermaid. Mermaid mythology is quite varied, with mermaids taking on many different appearance, appearances, origins, and personalities. The first recorded half-fish, half-human creature is Oannes, a Babylonian god from 4th century BCE, who would leave the sea every day and return at night. Though the ancient Greek sirens who lured sailors to their deaths in Homer's Odyssey were originally described as having bird bodies, they are often portrayed as the fish-tailed mermaids, so frequently that variation on the word siren means mermaid in many languages. Although these sirens had vicious personalities, as did the mermaids in J.M. Barry's Peter Pan, some versions of mermaids can be kind, such as Hans Christian Andersen's The Little Mermaid, made famous by Disney's 1989 popular film iteration of the same story. Mermaids are just characters and stories, of course, but in a world saturated with mermaid, mermaid mythology, people sometimes think that they had seen them in real life. When Christopher Columbus set out to sea in 1492, he had a mermaid sighting of his own. Little did he know that this encounter was actually the first written record of manatees in North America. It might seem strange to confuse a slow-moving, blubbery sea cow with a beautiful, fish-tailed maiden, yet it's a common enough mistake that the scientific name for manatees and dugongs is Sirena, a name reminiscent of mythical mermaids. Even today, there are false mermaid sightings. After a fake documentary special on mermaids aired on Animal Planet in 2013, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration was flooded with calls from people asking for the truth about mermaids. The truth is that mermaids are entirely fictional. But believe what you want to believe. While mermaids hold much of our attention and affection, their real-life doubles are left struggling in the sea. Manatees are easily injured or killed due to their large size and generally slow pace which makes them vulnerable to being hit by motorboats and caught in fishing nets. Another threat to manatees is blooms of, al of poisonous algae, which can go rapidly during warm summers, especially in areas with nutrient pollution from fertilizer runoff. Some types of algae produce a toxin that contaminates the manatees' wetland and estuary habitat and sticks to the seagrass they eat, making manatees sick or even killing them. Unusually cold waters in the winter can also kill many manatees. With all of these factors combined, manatees are suffering. Florida manatees' deaths hit a record high in 2013 with 829 killed. About 17% of the known population, including 126 calves, 
Of these, 276 killed were killed by algae blooms, 115 from an unknown disease, and 72 from boat collisions. Because of such harrowing statistics, the International Unit for the Conservation of Nature, IUCN, has listed all three species of manatees as vulnerable to extinction, and a few manatee subspecies as endangered. One subspecies, the Antillean or Caribbean manatee, currently has a population of just 2,500 mature individuals and is expected to decline by more than 20% over the next two generations unless something can be done to reduce these threats. There is also trouble for dugongs, close relatives of the manatees that share many of the same threats. The IUC lists the dugong as vulnerable, as it is extinct or declining in at least one-third of its range. If we don't take action like slowing boaters and reducing fertilizer runoff, we may lose these creatures and a source of a mermaid myth will vanish from the ocean. I hope you enjoyed that story. It was a bit different from the ones that I usually read, um, but I thought that it would be fun to throw a little mystery and magic while also learning how important it is to protect manatees. So now that we've learned a little bit about the ties to mermaids and some facts about their real-life doubles that live around the world, let's learn how to protect them from the threats they face. So, some human causes of manatee deaths are collisions with boats, other watercrafts, being crushed or drowned in canal locks or flood control structures, ingesting fish hooks, litter, monofilament line, and entanglement in, tra in crab trap lines. Starvation has also been um, a main cause of deaths, so this starvation is from a man-made famine, which has reduced the amount of seagrass um, due to climate change and a lot of other factors, which I'll talk about a bit later. That's devastating to yeah. hear. That's so sad. Um, this has led some states and federal, federal biologists to feed manatees, but not let them know that humans are feeding them so they don't develop a dependency on them. They will secretly throw lettuce and other food manatees can eat in the water without letting them see humans feeding them. Um, but the main cause for death is the loss of warm water habitat. Climate change and sea level rise has introduced salt water into warm freshwater areas and sediment from development has built up and made waters too shallow for manatees to enter during winter months. Though manatees can move freely through freshwater and saltwater, only these freshwater springs provide seagrass and drinking water for manatees. There's also human destruction of natural warm water springs to create more space for humans. And as I've said before, manatees uh, main cause of natural deaths is the cold, so these natural warm water springs are very important for them. Many manatees have actually started congregating around power plants because they emit warm water, especially coal power plants, and that attracts manatees. However, uh, power plants would also shut off the warm water just as quickly as it would be turned on, which would lead to manatees uh, dying from the cold because they do need warm water to survive, and it would be too short of a period for them to find a new place um, with warm water. One example of manatees congregating around power plants is on New Year's Day um, in 2010, with Florida being in the midst of a cold snap, temperatures were dropped below around 50 degrees Fahrenheit or 10 degrees Celsius. At Big Bend, a coal-fired power plant, more than 300 manatees took refuge. Um, this was at two operational coal-fired units, um, but they actually had mechanical difficulties for a few days and that caused the hot water coming out of them to plummet and the water dropped below 68 degrees Fahrenheit or 20 degrees Celsius. And scientists observed that some manatees desperately trying to find warmth would bury um, into the canal bed. 
In the end, after this historic cold snap, the die-off actually lasted about 89 days, and we saw about 480 manatees killed, and those were just the ones reported. Uh, this event underscored the animal's vulnerability and um, how important a long-term relocation fix is. There have actually been many changes in manatee migration due to these power plants. Uh, manatees have been learning where the power plants are and teaching their calves as well. Places like Brevard County and Tampa Bay have many power plants which allow manatees to spend their winters there. So they've been going there instead of the normal natural warm water springs that they used to. Experts have been trying to develop power plant protection programs. So certain power plants um, that help a lot of manatees have to stay in certain places and keep their warm water discharges on so manatees won't die from the cold. Even though power plants are not natural, manatees have grown to depend on them, and there is a high possibility that humans have destroyed many of the natural warm water sources that they used to go to. Another threat they face is seagrass pollution. Seagrass, like I said before, is the main vegetation that manatees eat, and since they need to eat about a tenth of their body weight every day, they need a lot of it. Since seagrass grows in shallow, clear water, the rise in this water level, along with the decrease in water quality, will definitely negatively affect seagrass, leaving manatees with not enough food. Climate change is also, obviously, a huge threat to manatees. Although the increase in ocean temperatures may help manatees because they do need warm water, it can also hinder them in so many ways. Some consequences are sea level rise, changes in the amount of seagrass, and loss of funding, since more animals will become endangered. Natural disasters such as hurricanes, high tide, rough waters, and more can all displace or severely injure manatees. This is also only a handful of problems that will accompany climate change which will affect manatees. Now that we've talked about some threats that manatees face, I of course want to, wanted to include some ways that we can help. If you live in places where manatees live, such as Florida, Georgia, or Alabama, um, one of the best ways to help them is to keep their habitat clean. But overall, no matter where you live, it is crucial to keep the ocean clean for all creatures who live there. Beach cleanups or volunteering to just pick up trash in general are great ways to do that. There are also tons of organizations on the websites I will link below this episode, such as SaveTheManatee.org and the World Wildlife Fund, which you can sign up to volunteer to help manatees or donate money. Um, another way to help is to just educate bo uh, boaters on proper waterway conduct where there are manatees. There are signs and boating safety zones on maps all around Florida and other places with manatees. Uh, since climate change also dramatically affects manatees, uh, you can check out my polar bear episode to learn about some ways individuals or groups can help slow the process of global warming. In my other episodes, I've done another story or a game, but I thought it would be fun to have a discussion with Miss Topping about what it means to be an endangered animal and what it means to be on the list. There are estimated to be about 13,000 manatees over all the species of manatees, and there are about 6,300 West Indian manatees. Previously, in 1991, there was only around 1,260 manatees in Florida. Though there are more today, there is still a lot that can be done. Manatees are protected under the Federal Endangered Species Act. There are also a ton of state acts, but we're going to be mostly focusing on the Federal Endangered Species Act because that affects all manatees. Uh, this, this act was uh, enacted in 1973 to protect threatened or endangered species. In order to receive protections under the act, a species must be placed on the endangered species list. 
There are more than 2,300 plants and animals which are currently on the list, ranging from tiny snails to trees to bears to manatees. Uh, species can be listed as threatened or endangered. In general, an endangered species is one that is considered to be at risk of extinction in all or a large part of its range. A threatened species, which is what manatees are right now, is a step down from this. It is a species that is at risk of becoming endangered. In general, the Endangered Species Act prohibits people from ex importing or exporting, harassing, hunting, harming, killing, or capturing, and selling or possessing any endangered species without permits. The Act also provides ways to protect the critical habitat that endangered species rely on and develop plans to help species recover. Now I'm going to throw it over to Ms. Topping, who's going to talk about bald eagles and how they made an amazing comeback. Yeah, the bald eagle is a really interesting uh, success story of the Endangered Species Act. Like 40 or so years ago, the bald eagle was practically extinct in North America. There was only about 417 breeding pairs left at the time. And since the bald eagle is the national bird of the United States, it was a species that people really needed and wanted to protect. It became one of the first species that was put on the Endangered Species Act in um, this has become one of the most powerful tools for protecting species like the bald eagle since then. This act has pre prevented the extinction of like 99% of all species that have been protected under it. And this act will typically prevent harm to the habitats of certain species as well as any harm to the animal itself. So if the habitat of the animal is threatened by something, then that is also protected under this act. Um, so I, I think there's been some similar successes with the manatees recently as well uh, with regards to this act, right? Yes, so the West Indian manatee was actually previously listed as endangered, um, but in 2017 the manatee status was re revised to threatened. This raised the question of whether it was time to celebrate uh, because the manatee's numbers had rebounded or it was a cause for concern because the manatee would lose important protections that they would um, have had if they were listed in, as endangered, but they wouldn't have if they were listed as threatened. So the population count for manatees as of January slash February in 2019, which is kind of the earliest I could find, uh, was, or sorry, the latest I could find, was around 5,730 West Indian manatees. As I said before, there are about 13,000 manatees in general, but just for West Indian manatees, there's about uh, a little bit under 6,000. So West Indian manatees are protected under federal law by the ESA Act. Even though they've been downgraded from endangered to threatened, there are still many protections the ESA provides. Um, there just aren't as many as there would be before. So it's really good to hear that even though they aren't on the full endangered list anymore, that they still are receiving some protections under the ESA. And it's great to hear that the manatee numbers are rising as well, but it is a little bit concerning that there have been a lot of reports of recent manatee deaths over the last couple of years. Um, 2021 was reportedly a horrible year for manatees. About 1,000 um, have died just in Florida, which is more than double the five-year annual average. So that's a, a very high death rate among manatees at that time. A lot of those deaths were caused um, by starving because of the loss of their seagrass due to a lot of toxic algae blooms. Um, so looking back four years after the United States Fish and Wildlife Services demoted the manatee from endangered to threatened, a lot of people are now questioning whether that move was made too soon. 
Um, one of the main habitats for manatees has been the Indian River Lagoon, which provides them with the warm waters that they need and plenty of seagrass to survive. However, with increased pollution from nearby fertilizers and septic tanks, there have been an increase in um, harmful algal blooms in the water, which prevents sunlight from reaching the seagrass that's at the bottom. Um, so because of that, we're seeing a decrease in seagrass in those areas. And this ultimately leads to many of the manatees needing to be rescued by the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission um, and has resulted in, unfortunately, many manatees dying due to starvation. Between December 2020 and May 2021, almost 700 manatee deaths had been reported, which is the record in six months. So it kind of then begs the question, why were they downlisted from endangered to threatened if we're still seeing manatees dying in Florida in such huge numbers? Yeah, so that's a really good question. And many experts also, like you said, blame the downlisting of manatees. Uh, since manatees were not considered um, at the risk of extinction throughout all of its range, it was downlisted. But even though uh, the Fish and Wildlife Services has said that most of the protections will remain. Um, there are still cuts in many state programs and overall like kind of a less rush to help manatee numbers. So the experts who think that downlisting the manatee caused a lot of these deaths believe that like the proposal um, was kind of an incomplete analysis on the data that was available. So it didn't show all the deaths that manatees were facing between 2010 and 2013. Um, and there was also no talk um, in this proposal about how manatees would be affected later on during, uh, due to climate change factors. However, on the other hand, the foundation which sent in the pet petition uh, to downlist manatees about four years ago was the Pacific Legal, Legal Foundation. Uh, they believed that after they had modeled multiple scenarios uh, for future manatee populations, that downlisting them was okay and that they were not at risk of being um, extinct. So it was okay to downlist them to being threatened. However, the researchers um, did kind of lack a complete understanding of the die-offs, as I said before, and the complete data between 2010 and 2013. Uh, but they said no matter what approach was taken, people always say they need more data and you have to wait for um, kind of a longer period to downlist these animals. Um, some people have also said that despite the delisting of these manatees, not too much has changed. They do have a lot of the protections they had when they were endangered, even though they've been moved down to threatened. This really begs the question of when should animals be moved down um, to threatened or should stay in the endangered? And honestly, there isn't an answer for it. It really just depends on how the data is. And as we've seen with manatees, it can, um, manatees can be, their numbers can go up and then they can also suddenly go down. And then uh, animals like the bald eagle can have really low numbers and then they can rocket up after um, being listed as endangered. So it really just does depend. Okay, so you've explained about the background of manatees being downlisted and kind of how their numbers and population sizes have changed since being downlisted, but what makes this animal so important to the ecosystems of Florida anyway? Like, why should we even care that the manatee's status has been changed? That's a great question. So even though their diet is primarily seagrass, they also eat more than 60 species of underwater, shoreline, and floating plants which is a good indicator of an ecosystem's health. When, when manatees are thriving, it means that their immediate environment is flourishing with life. That's specifically why manatees are so important for their ecosystem. But generally, why does it matter if an animal goes extinct? 
Well, extinction, I think, is one of those things that's hard for people to kind of wrap their heads around because mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like an urgent problem. It's not something that you see happening in your backyard every day. Yeah. It takes many years of collecting data to really see, A, if a species is going to go extinct at all, and B, when that might happen and how quickly, like what the timeline is. Um, but losing some species to extinction can drastically affect the structure of an ecosystem. All organisms kind of work together to survive within an ecosystem, whether it seems like it or not. And so if you have one species going extinct, it could cause kind of like a domino effect where one goes down and then another goes down and another goes down. That could be potentially what we see with the ecosystems of Florida if that were to happen with the manatee. The manatee represents an example of what we call a keystone species, where if that species is removed from the ecosystem, the ecosystem can essentially collapse and the health of it will drastically suffer as a result of that species being removed. Um, healthy, ecosys- healthy ecosystems tend to be more balanced and diverse. And when there's a lack of that balance and a lack of that diversity, we see the health of the ecosystem ultimately suffer as well. Yeah, just thinking back about episodes I've done previously, um, I know when I was younger and you see predators, you're like, oh my god, I, I like, I wish those predators weren't alive to like kill the prey. Right. prey. But that's such an important part of ecosystems. Just think back like to the cheetah episode that I did first. Like cheetah eating the gazelles is such an important part um, of that ecosystem. And without like them kind of controlling the amount of gazelles and with any predator and prey controlling the amount of prey. Um, that ecosystem would be overrun and it would just drastically change or make the ecosystem collapse. So I think um, just every species, no matter what their contribution is, is so important. Um, and big and small, they all make contributions to the ecosystem that helps it like be balanced, as you said, and sustain all life there. Certainly. And I feel like even though some organisms don't seem important, It sort of is put upon us to do what we can to try to protect them and and keep them around so that they can can continue to serve their role in the ecosystem with the other organisms that live there. Now that we've talked a little bit about why each animal matters in their ecosystem, this podcast is all about conservation of animals. How can we help animals? So I think a great last question would be, how can we do more to protect endangered animals? Well, this is really a big problem and it's it's kind of um, a little bit of a large problem too much perhaps for one person to tackle on their own so I think when it comes to helping protect endangered species there needs to be sort of a mixture of um, personal choices that people make uh, group efforts and then even reaching out to politicians and elected officials so there's kind of a balance between potentially top-down policies and bottom-up work where top-down policies involve our politicians prioritizing protecting the habitats of species that are endangered and also protecting habitats of species that are not currently endangered, but really have the potential to become endangered down the road. Um, Doing that type of work will help protect the species um, to a pretty great extent. But then also people who live in certain areas, like in the case of the manatee, people who live in Florida can organize and start groups that protect species in their own backyards and do what they can to help those species in their habitats and prevent habitat loss and pollution and those kinds of things that normally lead to the extinction of these organisms. Yeah, I think also, I mean, 
all types of animals are all affected by climate change. And that is definitely an issue that politicians and big companies are the biggest problem for and the biggest polluters. But individuals can also make changes, um, just such as like picking up plastic, um, reducing your water intake, also like turn off your lights. Just all these small things can really make a big difference if everyone does them. And then writing letters to your senators or politicians or just companies that emit a lot of carbon and greenhouse gases um, are really great ways to protect both endangered species, threatened species, and species who could eventually one day become uh, threatened or endangered. Some great organizations who specifically help manatees are the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, where you can volunteer or donate, as well as SaveTheManatee.org, and both of these websites have great links um, and information about helping manatees specifically, and especially with the rise in manatee deaths, that's super important right now. Some other organizations who help many other species, not just manatees, are the World Wildlife Fund and Wildlife Conservation Foundation. And on both these websites, you can find information about the tons of species who are endangered, threatened, and steps you can take to make a difference. While I've been working on this podcast for you all, I've actually learned that manatees have already reached a record number of deaths this year. It is only February, or the end of February, but it is two months into the year, and there's already a record number of deaths. If we don't restore additional areas of their natural habitat, help them stop starving and freezing to death, we are going to lose manatees. And this is a huge problem right now that there are a lot of petitions out and a lot of different organizations who are trying to help stop this. And this actually might be another reason why manatees might get bumped down to the, or bumped up to the endangered animals list again, instead of threatened because of how many manatees are dying last year and this year. And that is all I have for this episode of Conservation Conversation. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and not only learned all about manatees, but also learned about what classifies an animal as endangered and why the list is so important. It is so important to understand what it means to actually be an endangered animal and how helpful certain federal acts are to protecting these animals. Hopefully you also enjoyed my special guest, Miss Topping, Yeah, it was great being here. Thanks for having me. I learned a lot about manatees, a lot of new things I did not know, and I enjoyed our conversation about what makes it so important to protect our endangered species. Yeah, so finally, before we end this episode, swim down to the comment section and leave me some feedback. I do believe you can also rate my podcast on Spotify, so that would be great as well. Um, Also leave some suggestions. I would love to hear which setup out of the three episodes you enjoyed the most either by myself, with my friends, or kind of an expert or a more experienced person with zoology. Thanks so much for listening, and bye!